Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. We all have regrets, something we said or did that we wish we could go back and change. If only there was a way to travel back to that point in time and fix what we messed up. Unfortunately, there's no trash-powered DeLorean or flying phone booth that can help us with our mistakes. Time traveling is one of those concepts relegated to summer blockbusters and classic novels. But what if there was something else? Not a way to travel through time, but to see it. Like a television, one could tune in any period and get a glimpse of the way things were. In short, what if someone built a window into the past? A fictional version of such a device was written about by sci-fi author T.L. Sherrod in his 1947 story, E for Effort. In it, the main character, Ed, sees a silent film depicting the conquest of the Aztec Empire by Hernan Cortez. It's incredible with acting and sets that look just like the real thing. Except for one thing. That event took place in 1519, almost 400 years before the birth of the movie camera. Ed learns that the person who made the film he was watching has invented a special time viewer capable of recording the past. Ed and the inventor's greed gets the better of them, and they are eventually taken into custody by the U.S. government. I won't spoil the end, but the heroes don't fare too well. That said, the device was not always the fictional MacGuffin of a creative author. Back in the 1950s, a device called the Chronovisor was being developed by a team of scientists backed by an unlikely organization, the Vatican. Like the novel's literary device, the Chronovisor would allow viewers to see historical events on a television screen and even capture them in photographs. Allegedly, the screen was so powerful it had the ability to see the future as well. The team was led by an Italian priest named Father Pellegrino Maria Ernetti. Assisting him in the endeavor were two others, Nobel laureate Enrico Fermi and an actual rocket scientist. This project was no joke, at least not according to the Vatican. Ernetti had gotten the idea for his Time TV not from a science fiction novel, but from listening to Gregorian chants at a university in Milan. He and another priest, Father Agostino Gamelli, were engrossed in the performance when a single clear voice rang out above all the others. It was that of Father Gamelli's own father, who had long since passed away. Ernetti believed that the voice was not a ghost but a moment from the past that had been preserved in time and was waiting for the right frequency to be discovered again. He and the other scientists working on the chronovisor allegedly managed to build a working model, but the whole project went underground for 20 years until Italian newspapers got wind of it again. They printed articles poking fun at Ernetti's silly little machine, which he not only claimed existed, but worked as advertised. He told the papers he'd seen Napoleon Bonaparte, performances of lost plays by Roman poets, the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, and perhaps the most historical event of all time, Christ's crucifixion. When asked to provide a demonstration as proof, Ernetti objected. He said he couldn't, since he had destroyed the chronovisor out of fear it would be used for evil. 
The Vatican never admitted to having funded the creation of the device, but they did state that anyone caught using anything like that would be excommunicated. But don't let that fool you into thinking Ernetti was some sort of fraudster. He was respected within the church as a scholar and a clergyman, a man who was able to combine his scientific curiosity with his faith to great success. He'd already performed comprehensive research on religious music and the acoustics of churches and cathedrals before he ever started working on a time viewer. Ernetti passed away in 1994, swearing with his dying breath that the chronovisor was real and it did work. And he might have been right. One theoretical physicist from the University of Connecticut has spent his life trying to build a time machine in order to reunite with his late father. He claims it's possible, and though he hasn't been successful yet, he's certain someone, somewhere, will eventually build one. Or maybe they already have, far off in the distant future. If so, we'll never know it, but to those watching, it will most likely be an instant classic. Some athletes become legends for a reason. Olympic gold medalist Usain Bolt is widely considered to be the fastest man alive. Tennis icon Serena Williams is the winner of 23 major singles titles, an open-era record. And Jim Thorpe, born in 1887, was the first Native American to win a gold medal for the United States when he competed in the 1912 Olympics. He's also considered the greatest athlete of the first half of the 20th century. They poured their lives into their passions. Their hard work and determination earned them worldwide fame. Children look up to them. Aspiring Olympians idolize them. However, not all legends are born out of sweat and gold. Some don't work as hard as the others. Some stumble onto the pages of history without doing anything at all. Frank Hayes was born in Brooklyn in 1888, one year after Jim Thorpe and he got his start working around horses. He tried his hand at jockeying to no success, so eventually became a stable hand for a local horse breeder. Work was work, after all, and he wasn't about to look a gift horse in the mouth. Frank's boss saw potential in him, though, but not as a jockey. Instead, he wanted Frank to train his thoroughbreds to race, and Frank was a natural. Despite never winning a race of his own, he went on to train several champion steeds, earning him respect from all over the sport of horse racing. Still, Frank never forgot about his first passion. He was a jockey at heart, and he dreamed of the day when he would once again mount up and ride one of his trained horses to victory. And that day eventually arrived in June of 1923. He'd been training a particular horse named Sweet Kiss for a steeplechase at New York's Belmont Park, a steeplechase is different from a regular horse race in that it involves jumping over obstacles, such as fences and ditches. Unfortunately, with the event only days away, Frank found that riders were in short supply. Of course, he was only too happy to volunteer his services for the event, and hopefully the horse's owner would agree. The owner, however, didn't want him to compete, claiming his weight would slow the horse down. But time was running out, and there were no other jockeys. If Sweet Kiss was going to compete at Belmont, they had to rely on Frank to do the job. He went on a severe diet to lose the weight needed to qualify, and on the day of the race, Frank Hayes got his wish. He was thrilled, of course. 
Finally, someone had taken a chance on the 35-year-old stableman, and he wasn't going to throw it away. Even the other jockeys could see how excited he was to compete. It didn't matter that the odds were stacked against him. Literally, too, at 20 to 1. Frank climbed atop Sweet Kiss at the starting line and waited for the signal. The starter waved the flag, and the race was begun. Frank and Sweet Kiss took off like a rocket, jumping over hurdles around two miles of track, leaving the other horses in the dust. As they pulled into the final turn, it was just the two of them galloping toward the finish line. Frank hunkered down, leaning into Sweet Kiss, the wind whipping overhead. The audience roared. They stood to watch the underdogs, this horse and its jockey who hadn't a chance of winning minutes before, about to win the competition. They crossed the finish line to deafening cheers, and Sweet Kiss gradually slowed to a stop over another hundred yards. Frank Hayes had won his first race after years of staying off the track. The horse's owners and the people in the stands all ran down to meet him, to congratulate him for what he had accomplished. The place was abuzz with the joyful chaos of celebration. But as they got closer, it was clear something had gone wrong. Frank fell off the horse and landed face down in the dirt. Almost immediately, Dr. John Voorhees, the track physician, hurried over to see what had happened. And the news he delivered to the others was bad. Apparently, Frank's excitement got the better of him. During the race, he had suffered a heart attack, but somehow managed to hold on. By the time the horse finally crossed the finish line, Frank was nothing more than cargo, hitching a ride on its back. It's ironic, I know. Frank Hayes had wanted to be a jockey his entire life. But in the end, he turned out to be nothing more than dead weight. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.